I think that authenticity is crucial to what anyone is doing and being really passionate about what you're doing. And so I would say to anyone, don't worry about sort of the noise, stay really focused on what your mission is and just work really hard head down. It's not black and white. Business is very gray and there isn't a right answer. There isn't one rule that applies to everything. That was Fifi Simon. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. It's Marnie Salop. I'm your host. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. This is the last episode of 2018, episode 46 to be exact. I cannot believe a year has flown by. This time last year, I was gearing up to launch my first episode. I spent at least six months researching equipment, websites, platforms, and building out a content calendar and strategy, learning how to edit audio, and all of the fun things that go into podcasting. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. This January, we are bringing the podcast to life with a week-long Marnie on the Move mobile summit and series of live-to-headset podcast recordings in some of my favorite locations. So head over to the website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, and sign up for our newsletter to learn more. Now, on to the episode. By the time she was a teenager, Fifi Simon was already working in fashion, dabbling as a model here and there. As the daughter of a tailor, she grew up surrounded by it. Ever since she can remember, Fifi Simon has loved fashion, and anyone that knows her would agree. So when she arrived in New York City after college in 1992, it was no surprise that she landed her first job as a fit model at Pierre Ballman Denim. She later went on to launch two of the biggest denim brands in the history of fashion. What happened next in her career set the tone for what today is the world-renowned Simon Showroom. The entrepreneurial venture Fifi embarked upon back in 1998, now one of the fashion industry's most sought-after showrooms by contemporary designers from around the globe. Headquartered in New York City with locations in LA and Atlanta, Simon Showroom uniquely works with designers to cultivate and build their brands through sales, market intelligence, positioning, and merchandising. Renowned for bringing some of the coolest, hippest contemporary designers to market, Simon Showroom has launched brands in athleisure, denim, contemporary sportswear, young designers, and so much more. On today's episode, we talk about Fifi's career trajectory, where her love of fashion began, some of the great designers she has represented and built over the years, up-and-coming retailers and designers on the fashion landscape, and of course, we talk about her love of fitness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode because we had a blast recording it. If you like what you hear, 
please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Open up the app on your phone, scroll past the episode list to ratings and reviews, click on the five stars, click all five, then scroll down and click on write a review. It's simple. Also, follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram. DM or email us, Marnie on the Move one, the number one, at gmail.com with any questions you may have for me or my guests. And of course, follow today's guest, Fifi Simon, at Simon Showroom on Instagram or head over to her website at simonshowroom.com. And before we get started, I wanted to share a word from today's partner, Fit Plus Love. Today's episode is fueled by partner company Fit Plus Love. Fit Plus Love is a digital and real-time fitness and wellness lifestyle and entertainment company fueling consumers with sports, fitness, and wellness content through events and digital media. From our signature Morning on the Move podcast, our online articles at Momentum, and upcoming festivals, summits, and pop-ups. It is our mission to bring you everything awesome and next level from the worlds of sports, fitness, and wellness. Head over to our website at fitpluslove.com, sign up for our newsletter, and stay dialed in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tell me about Simon Showroom. So we are a sales, marketing, and distribution company that focuses on young designer brands, which means that our role and our goals are to take clothing that we love and share them with retailers. And we work with retailers all around the world. I can work with a retailer in Dubai. I can work with a retailer in Iowa. We have a really wide network of people and information. And I think that the foundation of what we do really stems from meeting designers that we love, seeing clothing that we love, and feel that they are relevant in our market for various reasons. And we manage their businesses on a day-to-day level with the retailers. When did you start your company? So I actually have an interesting story about that because I came to New York in my mid-20s from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I worked a couple different jobs in fashion. I always loved fashion. No one who knew me even as a 10-year-old would be at all surprised to know that I'm working in fashion. It's always been a part of who I am and I feel like a part of my identity. And I was looking for a new job. I always had like three jobs. And I showed up at this showroom in downtown called Barbara Kramer Collections. And I walked in to this room. It's actually where we're sitting right now. And I was so captivated by the way it looked. I was captivated by a whole wall of blue clothing that the designer from Toka had done. And Toka. Of course. And her name was Marianne. And she was really a visionary at that time. And I didn't know coming from Minnesota with the limited retail that was there at the time and being in my mid-20s and working on 7th Avenue as a new New Yorker, I didn't know this existed. And so I walked in and I thought, I want to work here. So I got a job here as a rep and my job was to sell at the time, I think I was selling petite bateau t-shirts. And I was literally walking up and down the streets, knocking on retailers' doors, <laughs> selling these t-shirts. And it was fun. And then... Was that how it went back in the day? It did because... So you have to remember, and I'm so dated.
humiliating myself, which is really painful. No, However, I think it's, important it's to, interesting to hear. Good. We barely had a fax machine. So everything we did was by phone, was visual, like in person. We would see stores. We would go to them. You know, I think in the early 2000s, or actually it was like the late 90s, it was a time when retail was really blossoming and there was no, I mean, Shopop didn't exist. Net-a-Porter didn't exist. Like there was no online sales, nothing like that was happening. So anybody that was buying clothing was buying it because they walked into a store and bought it or because someone from the store sent it to them. There wasn't another way to right. get clothing. Like you had to physically go into a store and shop. Yes. So I was working for this woman, Barbara Kramer, who's actually a real visionary in our business and yes. was one of sort of the I guess, matriarchs. I remember her. Of course. I feel like I was here when she had our showroom. That's I'm why sure I feel like you we did. met back then. Yeah. And she was a real sort of icon in the business. And I was one of her employees. And, you know, I think there was a time where the business owners of that generation were just a little different. She was, you know, very sophisticated, traveling everywhere, had a ton of different interests that involved her showroom and involved other things. And so I was her, the person who was here on a day-to-day -day basis. And I had just gotten married and I decided, I don't know what made me think to do this, that I was going to open up my own showroom. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> I went to her and I said, I'm going to leave. I hadn't talked to any of our clients. I was very honest. I would have never tried to steal a client away from her. I, I didn't do anything like that. And I had met some people who were opening up a PR company. So I thought, okay, I can open up my own showroom. Okay. And I went to her and I said, I'm going to leave. And she said, you know what? Why don't you stay? And I'm going to leave. Wow. And we did a deal. She was sort of eccentric. She was very yeah. eccentric. I mean, she runs, she's still super she's still, successful yeah. and involved in a tremendous amount of really cool things. Her bookkeeper at the time, his name was Ahmed, came to, he her, her overheard the conversation and he came to me and he said, you have to do this. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do this. I brought him in as my partner and we did sort of a long buyout deal with Barbara. And what I gained from that is I gained a business that I didn't have to invest in because I had no money. I was newly married. I mean, nothing, nothing. like. And so I had a business that had a credit line. Basically, we had a credit line. We had existing clients and we had a roof. And that was how Simon Showroom started. So Simon is my married name. I just gotten married and I always liked that last, you know, I always just sort of like short names that were not complicated. So we called it Simon Showroom. And that actually was a little bit more than 20 years ago in 1998. So September of 1998. That is exactly when I was at Parsons, mm, I believe. Could be. I'm sure. Just coming out. And mm -hmm. I was trying to be a stylist. Okay. And I had worked so, at Barney's. And so yeah. that is how I met. Barbara Kramer. I'm sure. Because I probably borrowed something for I'm a sure. photo shoot. That's what people did here yeah. all the time. Do you remember who were some of your first designers that you worked well, with? Well, I mean, so Petit Bateau was one of them. And we always thought it was so funny that we were selling these t-shirts that were kids t-shirts. You know, they only went up to a size 16. So we were selling like the baby t-shirts to adults, basically. Paul and Joe was a brand that I'm still really close with the owner and founder. It's just, it's a fabulous line and she's so wonderful. So those are the two that really stand out. But we had at the time, well, before I took it over, Barbara was really in the European brand. So she was working with Vivian Westwood, Gautier, like really more avant-garde 
brands. And there was sort of a new age was coming in where sort of this contemporary world was starting to bloom. It was something that wasn't really in the market at that time. And that really started with premium denim. And that sort of begins the next part of my business because we launched Seven for All Mankind, which was, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity to build a business in a way that was just so unique to what the market was craving. And that was really sort of what I think solidified us as a showroom. Where is Paul and Joe now? She sells all over the world. She's got a wonderful business. Yeah. And she's wonderful. The owner, Sophia Bo. Yeah, yeah, they're French. Yep. They're French based company. I remember, I think I got a coat from them. I'm sure. I'm sure you did. Yeah. I think I've known you this whole 20 years. Yes. I have. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Who are you working with now in 2019? I mean, we have great collections. Some of them are brand new. Some of them have been partners of ours for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. I like that we have the ability as an organization to work with young designers who are literally two people team, one person team, five. And then there's corporation. So Eero is a brand that we have worked with and built a really beautiful business and a beautiful partnership with them. Sundry is another brand that's fantastic. And the owner of that brand, the owners came to me in LA, I'll never forget it, with literally five tie-dye t-shirts. And I was just like, oh my God, I love these t-shirts. And that's how we started our business (laughs) together. And now it's just, it's a really great product just all around, great people, great line. You do a lot of capsule collections with them, right? We do, yeah. yeah. Yep, that that was something we sort of built, obviously, with the sales team here. I work with Amo, which is a wonderful denim collection from LA. And then some sort of the newer brands that we have include Antique Batique, mm-hmm. which is a brand that's been around for over 20 years. She's also a French brand, very authentic to what she does. She makes everything in India, spends a lot of time there. And I've always just been attracted to her brand. I can list them all for you. Yeah, you know, I want to hear because yeah, I mean, I'm there's sitting great... here in the showroom and I don't really get out of my office. Right, right. And, and so I could just Walk out of here with like 30 yes, things. Yes, and that's and sort so of the many beautiful point, things here. And that's sort of the point of our showroom is that it's not limited to an age group. It's really more to an aesthetic. And, you know, we have four generations of women working here. And sort of our litmus test on things that we like here are if, if it can touch every generation, then we know we're onto something. Yeah, you really do have such a great mix of designers here. Your showroom, Simon Showroom, always reps designers who are so cool, hip, and innovative. I just want to rewind here and go back to talking about denim because I think it's really important. In addition to Seven for All Mankind, you also brought Citizens of Humanity onto the radar of popular retailers and consumers in the U.S. Simon Showroom was incredibly instrumental in bringing these popular denim brands to market at a time when denim was just becoming popular. Did this solidify Simon's showroom as the go-to showroom for contemporary denim brands and designers? I think that we, I mean, obviously I spent a lot of time with Citizens and Seven. That was really almost like my full-time job. Right. Running those businesses. Even though it was part of your showroom. Yes. They were a very, I mean, it was something that I was always really passionate about. I think yes. And then I think no. I think that like things change, people change. I'm lucky that I have that experience, but the business changes. So you can't really rely on what you knew in the past. It's really more about what you're learning going forward in our business. That's so true. It does seem like this business is always evolving. But 
one thing that is consistent is the way that Simon Showroom works with designers to help build, grow, and market their brand beyond the traditional showroom model of simply just selling their line. Tell me more about your approach to working with designers and brands. I mean, it's one part cheerleader because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're working with creative people, with artists. And one of our jobs is to sort of, you know, bring them to market and make people feel like there's a reason why they need it. Because if you wanted to sort of analyze a jean is a perfect example. A five pocket jean is not going to change. Like they're not going to all of a sudden put a third leg on it. And right. This is like a new jean. <laughs> like so, a tail. And, and, right. And so for some people, what is the difference between that blue wash and that blue wash? Right. If you wanted to sort of look at it from that perspective. So I think part of this is our enthusiasm and sort of pushing along the brands that we work with. We also give them a tremendous amount of market feedback. And that ties into us having a really talented staff here that has been in the business a long time that are listening to what their buyers are looking for. And then we share that information back to our designers, which is unbelievably valuable information that you can't pay for that. You know, that's something that you just get from being in the market, talking to your stores, listening to what's going on. And then we help them negotiate whatever deals might come their way, whether it's a a deal with just say a J crew or it's a deal with a department store or it's a specialty store who would like to have exclusivity in their area. You know, we just help them navigate many, many parts of their business. And also the capsule collections that you Oh create. yeah. And that's part of it. Yeah. And then we also sort of go into market and figure out how to make our lines bigger. And so I've always felt that what we do is really 360 degrees. We're not limited to anything and anything is an opportunity. I think what happened with Sundry, we've done some capsule collections and, you know, it started out as a conversation and the conversation started out as maybe trying two things. And then those two styles went into four styles. And a lot of what we do is very organic. And I think that when we take gambles, they're managed gambles. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, that's a huge testament to the culture of your company, being able to really work with these brands and cultivate these brands and help them grow. But you also have an amazing team. We do. Yes. Everyone that works here has worked here for 20 years, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, so many companies want and hope to have that kind of culture. How do you do that as a leader and a founder and CEO? It's the team that brings it on really, to me. I mean, I think that my baseline is really high. The baseline is high. So anyone who's coming to work here already has an expectation and that they're going to come here, that they're serious, that they are here to work and here and they are going to be honest and forthright and just helpful to their clients. And so I've been lucky that I think I'm a good judge of character. Mm -hmm. And I've not always, I mean, it doesn't always work out, obviously. And there's great people who have worked for me that have left that have, I've been really upset about. And there's people who've worked for me that I felt like, oh, I made a mistake. So it's not like it's been 20 years, but I think all in all, I hire really good people. They begin really good. You know, they begin really solid, smart, hardworking. I think that we have a team of women here who are working because they're putting food on the table for their Mm -hmm. families. This isn't a vanity project for anybody. And I think that that's meaningful Mm -hmm. because we treat it as a business, not as a shopping closet. And one could maybe think of it that way Mm -hmm. if they chose to. Not that we don't have fun and not that we don't spend a tremendous amount of time talking about how much we love everything and trying things on constantly. This is a business and people take it seriously. 
Yeah. I mean, you've had people that have worked here for years, so they obviously love it. I think that when you're a small business, you don't have the kind of perks that big companies have. You just don't. So I try to give other perks that I can manage. And so I think we have a lot of moms Mm -hmm. and I would never want someone to not feel like they couldn't be involved in their kids' lives. Right. I wouldn't want them to, you know, like if it's market and someone's got something really important for their child, they go. Like I want them to go. Right. You know, it's like things like that. you have your own children. Yes. I have three kids. So in the span of owning this business, well, first I got married and then I started Simon Showroom and and I have three kids and my daughter just started college this fall. Oh my gosh. Where is she going to college? She goes to Amherst College. Awesome. So be proud. You know what? I'm proud of all of my kids. They're great. They're great kids. And so I've really understood. I have a lot of compassion for working moms because I've been one. And so I never, I try to make it flexible for people. And I think that that is something you can't always do in bigger companies. Right. And I'm sure the brands that you work with have like so much respect for you. Yeah. And we work with brands though, that we also respect that Mm -hmm. also we're very like-minded. I think the brands that I work with, I work with great people. You're working with Mm LNDR. They're so awesome. It's a great brand. And I've been wanting to get a brand like that in our showroom just because we spend a lot of time talking about fitness here. We took it and it's really great quality. I will always love any product that just has a great hand that's, you know, authentic in the marketplace. And they are one that I felt like really were special. Do you feel like bringing on a fitness apparel or athleisure brand is sort of part of the evolution of the fashion business at this stage of the game? For sure. I mean, I think it's more fashion is no longer siloed. So a ball gown is worn with a sneaker. A legging is worn with a blouse. So I feel like for us in keeping of sort of the Simon showroom perspective, which is easy clothing that's cool and hip and sort of on the cutting edge of whatever it is they're doing. For LNDR, it's seamless and it's really technical, very technologically advanced, their brand and what it's offering. So to me, that's amazing. It's as amazing as, you know, a denim line like an Amo or a Koi or even, you know, AQC that's behind you that's made in LA. You've got people touching them and hand washing them and and vintage t-shirts. You know what I mean? That's cutting edge, but like in their own way. So I think that's sort of what what we look for here. And we're just excited to have good brands that we like. Now, speaking of fitness and athleisure, this is how we started this conversation (laughs) 20 years ago. I know that you've been working out and exercising and taking classes and training for all kinds of sports your whole life. So is that something that really has fueled you for success in your career? You know, I've always been, I love, and, and by the way, I'm not ever the best at anything and I'm not doing this to be competitive. You know, it's not something that I do necessarily because I need to be the best in the class or anything. It's just, I've always loved being around fitness. I've always loved it. And I don't know if it's because I have four brothers who played sports nonstop and that was basically my life or if it's just, I was just wired that way when I moved to New York and when everyone else was going out to bars for happy hour, I was like waiting in line to get into the best aerobic class. You know, I was one aerobics. of those people. Yeah. But I was one of, Do you me even and my remember, friends. Like, yeah, Jeff with, Martin. Jeff Martin. Oh my God. Yes. And Tracy. Tracy Pollan. Tracy Pollan. She, she had, had a, a studio on the Upper East Side. She's Michael J. Fox's wife. Yeah. And this was, I mean, and all my friends that I've met, my still good friends, I met them at these studios. We would literally wait in line. Patricia Moreno is Mm -hmm. a perfect example of someone who 
we idolized. And she would teach these unbelievable classes. We would wait in line to get into her class. And that in my 20s is when I was in the front of the room and looking great and, and making right. sure, you know, we had so much fun. Do you still talk to Patricia? No, I see every, so she doesn't know me. Like, oh, you know how it is. They, they're like celebrities to us. So okay. she wouldn't know me. But of course, every time I see her, if I have a chance to talk to her, I always tell her. Yeah. about how much I enjoyed her classes. She's still teaching. Yeah, she's still teaching. So I just, I don't know, there's something about that culture that I just, I've always loved. And I think that, listen, it fuels you. Anything you can do to get your body moving and your mind sort of moving will always help you. Getting yeah. up early, getting to, you know, those are things that are just life lessons that will always help you in whatever you do. So now I'm sort of at a point in my life where I have to look for convenience mm -hmm. and things that are very in close proximity. So I am extremely fortunate to live in basically Exercise Alley. So between Simon Showroom on 17th Street and Fifth Avenue right. and Chelsea, there are unbelievable opportunities to work out. Right. And so I just kind of have to pick you know, things that are close and that are convenient. Yeah. I'm so jealous because I'm down in Battery Park and I'm sure oh that gosh. if I were back when I lived in Chelsea, yep. I used to, I still never took a lot of classes, mm -hmm. but I do love them in theory. Yeah. They're always sounding so good to me, but my two like go-to places are either like Physique 57, mm -hmm. Mile High Run Club, mm -hmm. Swerve, or yeah. sometimes I go to Exhale, you know, anytime I can. Right. When I'm not training for something or what classes are you taking these days? And I try different things and I get into different things right now. I'm, and I love to run also. You do. And the High Line is, is just like the best place to run in the morning. When there's I have no not people been up it. there it's running. Beautiful. It I is. mean, just I am a leisurely runner. I'm not training like the way you might be, but just that there's a run to watch what's happened mm -hmm. on the west side. And yes. I've been watching this happening from when the High Line had stopped at like 30th Street, and now they finished it. Now it goes down to the Javits Center, and then everything that's happening on the west side with Hudson Yards. It's just it's amazing. Yeah. And it smells really beautiful and you see the plants, everything growing in over the years and it's just really nice up there. So I try to incorporate that as part of my runs. Whenever I'm running, it makes me appreciate how amazing living in New York is. Agreed. I mean, I run up the West Side Highway. Oh, it's amazing. Or I run up around through the mm -hmm. seaport. Mm -hmm. And it's, I definitely feel old because I remember when it was very sketch. Right. And like you would never, I would never right. run there. You know, and now it's like beautiful, like the architecture. Well, 10 Corso and, Como opened yeah. up in the seaport. Very expensive store. I have not been there. Oh. 10 it's Corso an, Como. It's an Italian store. I think it's from Milano. Mm -hmm. And they opened up a beautiful store and it's in the seaport. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I usually just like run by. Right. So what do you think are some big trends right now in fashion and that are, you know, for 2019 that you think we're going to see more of? I think this isn't something actually I sell, but... The whole sneaker business is just insane what's mm -hmm. happening with footwear right now. And I think that buying, if someone were to say to me, how can I best impact a wardrobe? I would say shoes. Yes. You know, footwear is just so big right now and so many different trends sort of are happening. Like I remember last summer, everyone was wearing backless slides and everyone's doing them. And that was, even for me, that was like a wardrobe refresher. I think any type of sneakers, you can't 
lose with that. And there's just so many options. And I think that you can wear them in so many different ways. Things I wouldn't have even thought of. Right. You know what I mean? As a person in her mid-age, you know what I mean? You just don't necessarily think that. The trends, I mean, the thing is, and maybe one of the problems in our business right now is that the trends are so vast and so wide that it's hard to really see what is the message for Mm -hmm. this season, which is something that we used to have in the days before Instagram. Instagram has really been a game changer. How has it impacted your business? Well, it's just because what's happening is everything is so immediate Mm -hmm. and people are posting and a lot of business is being driven through one or two posts. And so for me, and and this has to do a little bit more about our business and how Mm we sort of choose the lines that we represent. But for me, I'm not really looking at the trend necessarily. I'm looking at does a line have a really cool voice? Is it something cool? Would someone want to wear it? Does it feel relevant? Does it feel hip? And in that, can it also be worn in two years from now? Not overly trendy, but I think there's a ton of florals out in the market. There are sequences going to be really big, continue to be really big, gold, silver, daytime. You know, I see I think a lot of color here. A lot of color. Yeah. A lot of color. Like black isn't gone. Yeah. And we're also sort of in the age of where things have to be emotional. And when you think of the fact that there are sort of fewer shoppers, a lot of retailers come in. If I'm going to have fewer people coming through my door, I need things that are really emotional and rarely is like a black shirt emotional. Right. Do you think Instagram sort of Yes. Changed that because everybody, I know for me, like I can't wear another black outfit on Instagram. For sure. Like I need pops of color. Yes, of fun. course. Clothing. Of course. I, it's actually a beautiful thing yes. that it's given people sort of the confidence. I mean, listen, I'm a consumer just like everybody right. else. And I question my wardrobe on a daily basis right. like everybody else. I, I really do. And I think that anything that can give people the confidence to go out and get dressed and look cool and feel good is a good thing. So I salute all the bloggers, all the Instagram stars who are going out there and sort of encouraging people to find their best self in terms of how they want to dress. The industry has really changed over the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about when you first started in this business in the fashion industry and you were working in a showroom, you would go door to door to different retailers and try to sell the brands you were representing. And then maybe a decade later, things started to change and buyers would come to you, right? And it was still all brick and mortar retailers. Mm -hmm. How did your showroom quickly adapt to the abundance of digital e-commerce and online stores? The good news is that going door to door is still part of what we do. It's just done in a somewhat more sophisticated way (laughs) because now there's email, you know, now there's different ways of getting a hold of people. So I would say that adapting was sort of adding a layer on to what we do because at the end of the day, we're a network of people who communicate with stores, who have the opportunity to distribute brands, but it's all a really personal business. And I don't think that ever goes away. Meaning I have Every person who works here has clients that only want to work with them. Why is that? Because they know that their sales rep is going to tell them what to buy and they trust them. And that that's hard to do if you're not sort of in person. You know, that's hard to cultivate that relationship. So I think that we have, our team goes on the road, we call it on the road. On the road. They're, They're on the road. They're on the road all the time. 
and they're visiting stores. It's just sort of the way we do it is different. The purpose of it might be a little bit different. It might not be so much about getting a sale as it is finding out more about who they are, what their needs are, and connecting with them and connecting with their clients. What are some up-and-coming markets and retailers on the fashion scene? I think that one of the biggest things is taking the big cities, L.A., Miami, Manhattan, and see what's going on in the Midwest. Because there are groups of stores that are growing like crazy Mm -hmm. that no one would imagine that a store that started in Minnesota with one or two doors could become a 60, 70 door operation, primarily in sort of the Midwest, Southwest, a little bit. And I think that's really fascinating. I think that the consumer is super sophisticated. I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota is an unbelievable state. It's super progressive. There's a tremendous amount of great music that's come out of there. Great fitness people have come out of there. But I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a fashion hub. But what I've learned is that you can't judge any market and that there are sophisticated consumers everywhere that are successful and that have money to spend. What are some cool new emerging boutique retailers? There's a group of stores that started in Minneapolis called Ever Eve. Mm -hmm. And there's such an interesting story because you usually think that stores begin in the South, you know, like in New York or LA, and then they sort of build sort of from the big markets to the smaller markets, but they have focused on some of the smaller markets and are exceedingly successful. On the East Coast, the founders of... Intermix, or one of the founders, started new stores called The West Side, and they've opened now five locations, and I've been impressed with what they're doing and Mm -hmm. their vision, just in terms of especially stores. So it's nice. I think what's great to know is that in a landscape that's overcrowded and that is tough for a lot of retailers, there are also retailers who are growing. And so that's always like a good sort of barometer for us Mm -hmm. in terms of what we can expect from a market. Why are they growing versus other retailers not growing? Do you know? I don't know. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's being new. Sometimes it has to do with sort of what the message is and where they're sort of funneling that message to. I think it's complicated. I think that there are stores who are, you know, have one store, they've had their businesses for a long time, they may not be as knowledgeable about how to get more customers through Instagram or Facebook. There's things that have happened that I think it's hard for people to be able to adjust to them. Marketing online is really expensive. You don't have the kind of finances that you need to be able to really support real growth. And so it's, I think it's a combination And then what about the digital landscape? There's great businesses that we're doing that are just growing exponentially. And that's a real blessing for Mm -hmm. sort of our lines. Because in the past, if you weren't in a store, nobody would know about you. But now you've got like the whole world looking potentially, you know, potentially looking at multiple touch points. And that's amazing. So we work with, you know, a lot of, we work with Revolve, we work with Forward, with Shopbop. And then obviously a lot of our department stores have their Net-A-Porte. I mean, these are powerhouse businesses that continue to grow and thrive and, and put out in addition to sort of their selling clothing, they're also doing great editorials and they have great teams and It's been fun. It's been really fun to watch these businesses grow, knowing what I know and having, I've met many of the founders when they literally first started. Speaking of founders, you've had a tremendous amount of experience launching and building designers, their collections and brands. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs? To anyone, I would say, don't watch what everybody else is doing. 
just do what you do and be really, really good at it. Because I think that there's always this fear that someone is kind of doing it better. And oh my God, they did a studded gene. So now I have to do a studded gene. Like I think that authenticity is crucial to what anyone is doing and being really passionate about what you're doing. And so I would say to anyone, don't worry about sort of the noise, stay really focused on what your mission is and just work really hard head down. It's not black and white. Business is very gray and there isn't a right answer. There isn't one rule that applies to everything. And so you can't run a business that way. I think you have to, if there isn't one rule, but you have to have some kind of baseline. For me, it's always been what is the right thing to do? What is the most honest, ethical way to handle whatever we're doing? And then that's what we do. I think that's your culture here. Yeah. I mean, that's and then the that's kind it. of people you And sometimes it means we have you. to admit we made a mistake. It means we didn't do something we were supposed to do. But I would much rather go to bed knowing I was honest than knowing that I wasn't honest. And I would say that about everyone that I work with here. And then what are some challenges that you've had over the years that maybe you want to share? There are so many challenges in being a business owner, Mm -hmm. working in a small business. And because we are a services business, as you know, losing really big clients, thinking that you have this really strong relationship and then things just sort of just out of nowhere. I've had that happen to me many, many times. And that's something that's really hard to control. And so unfortunately, I've learned that things will surprise you and you have to live Live with that. And that's part of the challenge of being a business owner. Do you remember the first time that happened versus now? Yes, I can remember everything. And has your attitude to totally changed? Like you're no, just like, oh, you know, whatever. I've always, no, I mean, I've always thought that anytime I feel like I'm not being treated well, mm-hmm. I've always taken that as a lesson. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I've said to these, my clients is thank you because you've taught me how to not treat somebody. And I think that's really important to be able to look at someone and say, you know what, this really is a terrible situation for me, but you've taught me something really valuable. And I try to learn from those experiences and I try to think about what might have, what could have changed. In some cases, nothing. There's nothing you could do to change it. But in other cases, you know, you can look and see what could you have done differently. And I think that's also part of our culture in our showroom is we can't do the same thing over and over again. We have to change. You constantly, you know, have you to have grow to grow. Change. You have to think about how you're doing it differently. Everything is up for grabs, and I think you also have to really appreciate what you're doing, appreciate your clients, but work really hard for them and be honest about the work. Now, I know Simon Showroom caters to designers and retailers, but you really do have a great Instagram feed that any consumer can follow, where they can learn about great fashion and designers. What's your Instagram handle? It's at Simon Showroom. At Simon Showroom. Mm-hmm. Easy. Awesome. Easy to this remember. Was so We've great. Got, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. And I love so your overdue. podcast. And I enjoy listening to it all the time. And Thank I love you. getting stuff from your guests. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram, and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, 
what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 